Uh, we're going to continue talking about uh, the supernatural this morning. We're going to talk about glory. And I'm going to start, I want to kind of set the scene a little bit for this. In, um, in John Wesley's uh, understanding, Wesley being the, the beginning of the Wesleyan movement and the Methodist movement, um, when he talked about our journey of faith, he talked about it sometime like going into a house that, you know, first you come onto the porch of the house and then you come through the front door into the entryway and then you go from the entryway into the living area of the house. And so there's this, this kind of process of moving deeper into the house and deeper into faith. And in every step, there's a, there's a threshold that you cross as you move into the next room. And, and that's kind of the decision point in faith. Now, the interesting thing uh, with that for me was when I was going through school uh, studying, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of James Fowler who had developed a, a model of uh, faith development uh, and based it off of uh, developmental psychology. But he'd studied people and talked about how their faith is. And a lot of times we think in our faith that it's kind of like a I don't know, going to the gym, you know, you go and you work out and you get a little bit stronger and you work out more, you get a little bit stronger. And so it's this kind of slow, gradual procession. And, and what he found was, no, it really doesn't work that way. What happens is we, we kind of go along on a plateau and then something happens that disrupts that. Uh, and it can be a negative or a positive experience. Uh, it can be something bad that happens in your life or it can be some overwhelming, overwhelming experience of God. But, but something disrupts that and, and then you move from, from this place in your faith kind of into the next phase of, of faith. And so there's a, a kind of a disjunction there. And there's a period in between those oftentimes that is uh, very disruptive. Uh, people will actually say things like, I, I think I've lost my faith. Or they'll say things like, I don't know what's happening to me. I think I'm losing my mind. You know, this is what's occurring to me. Uh, and, and so they have this very kind of disoriented place in their life for a while before they move into this next phase uh, of their faith. And that, that period in between there, that's, that's the threshold between one phase of faith and, and the other. Uh, and, and as Wesley talks about, you know, crossing that threshold in the next phase of your faith. So his, his language was actually very consistent uh, and his experience was consistent with what uh, we, we find now uh, in our faith journey. And some of you may have experienced that at a certain point in your life. You, you had that where you went through that place where you thought either you were losing your faith or you thought, I, you know, I'm losing my mind going through this and something weird's going on. Uh, and, and so I, I want to play with that a little bit. Um, that's an important thing to understand about how our faith grows. And, and it's interesting that in the Hebrew language, the word for a threshold, uh, sapaf, uh, it, you know, it means the, the threshold of the doorway, obviously, but it also has these kind of connotations of waiting at the threshold or being snatched away from the threshold. Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting because even in our modern culture, we, we kind of have those understandings in some ways. We'll talk about being on the threshold of something new in life. and We'll talk about it with expectancy, right? You know, we're waiting, we're waiting to step over that threshold into whatever this new thing is, and we're, we're excited about it and we're expecting about it. But, but we also have some negative connotations, don't we? I mean, you know, if you've gone to those movies, you know, where you have these things where people walk up to the door and they're, it's a horror movie, you know, and, and, and you know there's something bad on the other side, right? And they walk up to the door and everybody in the theater is going, don't do it, stop, don't open the door. And of course they always open the door, right? And they walk in there, I mean, you know, really, if you're going someplace where murders have been happening, don't go to the basement. I mean, what are you thinking, right? I mean, so you, you have that where the whole crowd's going, no, don't, and they, and they do it anyway, or, or, or the other way. You know, they, they come up and they're trying to get into a, a place that's going to be safety while this evil is approaching, and they're trying to open the door and the whole audience is holding their breath. Are they going to make it or not? 
I mean, we have those kind of understandings that thresholds can be places of excitement, but they can also be kind of intimidating and, and kind of fearful, and, and we can stop and kind of be locked in place in fear at those moments. And, and, and that's true in our modern culture. Our, our brothers and sisters in the ancient time understand and understood that, uh, and it, it's true in our faith. And it's for exactly those moments that God's glory is given to us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask you to come and be present with us this morning. Pour out your glory on us and open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds, our spirits to hear what it is you want to share with us today. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now I'm going to go back to this little story in Luke 9 we've been playing with a little bit uh, for the past couple of weeks. I want to remind you of, of where we're at this, in this thing. Jesus says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now that, that's pretty much of a threshold right there, right? Right? Jesus said, okay, so if you want to be my disciple, here's what you, you got to, you got to Deny who you are, your, your hopes, your dreams, everything about, you, know, you, you got to lay all that aside. Take up your cross, the instrument of crucifixion, and follow after me. That, that's a pretty major threshold to go over. And, and then he continues, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, remembering that we read these words from the point of people who know the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples hear them before that. So they don't know the story of the resurrection. And he's telling them, oh, I want you to do that. You just deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And, and you know, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty major kind of threshold to step over. My, at least to me it would be uh, at, at that point, not knowing what's going to happen. And so he's, he's put this in front of them, this tremendous challenge uh, to them. And he speaks to them. And then I love that last little phrase. You know, Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Sometimes that's heard as talking about the second coming of Christ and the expectation that Christ will return. But remember that Jesus, as he's talking to them about this, uh, you, you know, what, what he's talking about is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. I'm telling you that some of you who are standing here before you die, you're going to see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. You're going to see the glory of God breaking in. And, and, and then he takes them up on the mountainside to pray. Peter, John, and James. And as he's praying, the appearance of his face was changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So they had this this vision. This is out of the church that's on Mount Tabor uh, uh, of Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And you can see how the artist has represented the aura around Jesus' head and the the kind of golden glow behind him to represent the the glory, the, the light, the power, and the presence of God 
being expressed through him in that moment. And, and this is given to them. This is pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection to give them strength, to give them confidence as they move in that place, to encourage them to take that step, to move across that threshold. Now, now in the um, kind of the evangelical and southern tradition of the church, well, the thing that's used, and some of you may have been here when Sylvester Chase has done this with us, where, where the, the pastor will say glory and the congregation responds with Hallelujah. So let, let's, let's practice that a little bit. Glory. Hallelujah. And let's do it right. Glory. Hallelujah. Yeah, so, you know, so here's the deal. You know, they, they don't have that. But you and I, if we'd been there knowing that Christ is going to be resurrected and what's going to come about, if we'd been there and seen this vision of Christ with Moses and Elijah, the, the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament witnessing to Christ as the resurrected king of all creation, we probably would have stood up at that point and said, Glory. Yeah, because we would have recognized, they're still struggling with it a little bit, but we would have known that. This idea of, of the resurrection, the, the appearance, the glory, the power of God present with them to strengthen them as they approach that threshold. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this, this whole thing about you know, the resurrection and all that and, and, and kind of the glory of that that's involved in that. There, there is a, an interesting story in the Old Testament and some of you are familiar with it, and some of you will be going, okay, I've never heard this one before. Uh, it comes out of Numbers. Uh, the people of Israel are being led in the desert. Uh, they travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Can you imagine that? Have you ever traveled with anybody that was impatient? When are we going to get there? How much longer is it going to take? I've got to go to the bathroom. I want something to drink. And then I want to go to the bathroom because you just had something to drink, right? And, and you know, you know they, this goes on and on and on and on. And partway through the day, you're thinking, I'm just going to pull over and put them on the side of the road and leave them for somebody else, right? So the people of Israel, they're doing, where they're out here in the desert, you know, God, you brought us all the way out here. When is it going to get better, you know? They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now, that's the manna, right? This miraculous food that God has provided. But now it's become miserable food, you know? And so, you know, God, you know, like you on a long road trip, kind of loses patience with them, right? I, I'm sure you've never done that, but, you know, I have. Uh, and, and, you know, so he, he's angry because they're speaking against him and they're refusing to recognize his power and they're refusing to recognize this miraculous provision he's provided for them. And, and maybe he overreacts a little bit, I don't know, but... The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. <laughs> I know I have felt that way. I haven't done it, but I felt that. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Okay, hang in with the story. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Well, you know, when you're in snakes around you, you begin to think that way. You know, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now, now, I want you to just kind of set aside all your whatever reservations about would God really do something like this. Just it, it, go with it. That this is, this is what the story comes down to us from history. Uh, so he sends these snakes among them to, to begin to teach them. I mean, you know, God's done this amazing stuff. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's been feeding them with this miraculous provision. And all they do is keep whining. They keep complaining. They speak against God. They speak against Moses. Somehow or another, he's got to bring them across that threshold into trusting in him. So what does he do in response to their prayer? He doesn't send the snakes away. 
The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and, and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, I, I, this is really an interesting story, and most people are unfamiliar with it, but it, it, there's kind of a modern parallel to that. Those of you who, who are you know, familiar with these things, you know, they, they actually use snake venom to make the anti-venom they give you if you get bitten. So it's kind of interesting that you know, the, he puts the snake up there, and that's what cures him. But the point of this is, is what God does is he takes the snake. And, and remember that the snake is not only you know, something that creeps a lot of people out. Anybody get creeped out by snakes? Yeah, talk to my wife. Uh, she, there's no, in my wife's world, there is no such thing as a good snake. You know, there just isn't. And, and not even a dead snake is a good snake in her world. She just really is not there. But, but you, you know, you have this kind of thing where, you know, they're, they're dangerous and, and they're venomous. But you also have in the Hebrew tradition the understanding that snakes are, represent evil. Uh, and so God takes what is evil and what brings death and raises it up and in God's power overcomes it so that it becomes a symbol for life. And you need to, you need to hold on to that thought that God takes what is evil and, and brings death and raises it up and makes it into a symbol of life. And so the people who are coming through there, and I don't know about you, but you know, if I'd been in that crowd and, and walk along and the snake had bitten me and I thought I was going to die, and then I looked up there and I saw this bronze snake and all of a sudden I was healed and it stopped hurting and I knew it was going to live, I might say, glory! Because I was going to die, but now I'm not, right? Now, this is an obscure little story to us, but it wasn't to the Hebrews. I mean, Jesus knew this story pretty good, didn't he? Right? Just This is Jesus speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then later on, when I'm lifted up from earth, I'll draw all people to myself. Yeah, the Son of Man. I mean, reaching back, you know, in the crucifixions, God is going to take all the, the evil and the death of the world, and God is going to overcome it, and that is going to be the source of life. That's going to be the source of life. God's going to, in the crucifixion, give us a sign that evil and death no longer rule in our lives. And, and in the same way that the people back then could look at a snake and live, we can look at Christ and know that we can live, that, that sin and evil and death in the world can be overcome, and that in Christ we can be given the, life, the gift of life. And that should grant, I mean, we should cry out to that glory because we've been given the victory over death. That's a powerful, powerful moment when God grants us that glimpse of the power of God. Grants us that glimpse. So going back to Luke 9. While they're up there on the mountaintop and Peter is talking nonsense because he doesn't understand what's going on. I love what Luke says. He doesn't know what he was saying. Uh, while he's speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. I mean, this, this is an experience of the presence of God that is so powerful that it overwhelms them. And as they, they're there on that threshold, wondering, what's going on? Am I losing my mind? What is happening? This voice speaks to them. This, this, this is my son. Listen to him. 
What an amazing experience of the presence of God. The kind that, that, you know, if if you're in and you're there and you're experiencing it, might prompt you to say, glory. And God showing over and over by his power that he has the power to overcome sin, has the power to overcome evil, he has the power to overcome death. Now that word... In Scripture, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, people sometimes think it's, it's this word or that word. And you should know that there's a lot of debate around what is the proper Hebrew word to use with kavod. Uh, Shekinah doesn't actually get that usage in Scripture, but it became used later on for that. But, but actually, the, the oldest versions of the intact Old Testament, of the whole Old Testament, and the oldest versions we have of the Scripture are actually not in Hebrew. They're in Koine Greek. And in Greek, the word is doxa for glory. And, uh, and, and we get the doxology, you know, the word about glory from this, which we used to sing, some of you remember. And, and I remember it, it, it's, it's glory be to, no, it's not. It's not glory be to the Father. Anyway, uh, so I keep getting the glory of Patry mixed up. But, but it's this word of praise, you know, to, to praise God's glory, the doxology, a word about glory, this idea of glory. And, and, and it's kind of loosely defined. I mean, actually, if you see the way the word's used in Scripture and and the way the church has understood it, it, it I mean, glory, it, comes, it appears in different kinds of ways. I mean, uh, uh, sometimes uh, people experience it as a, a visual kind of disturbance, a, a light aura, glow. Uh, sometimes people hear uh, God speaking to them. I mean, audibly hear God's voice speaking to them. Sometimes people feel like they're on fire, like there's electricity running through their bodies. Sometimes people experience great acts of healing. Uh, sometimes people experience great works, like when Jesus divides the loaves and fish and feeds the thousands. I mean, it, it appears in many, many different ways, but, but really it's the summation that, that you have this amazing experience of the power and the presence of God. And it comes to lift you over the threshold. It, for the people of Israel in, in the desert who, who still struggled coming out of Egypt, they were still struggling to understand that, that this God is all-powerful and this God has us. They were still wrestling with that. God gave them this, this moment to understand that even though they're in the midst of evil and they're in the midst of death, that all they have to do is, is keep their eyes on God and God will bring them through. They're on the threshold of trusting him, and, and he's trying to move them across that threshold. And Jesus gives the disciples, Peter, James, and John, this, this vision, allows them to see his glory in that moment, to, to move them over that threshold and prepare them for what's coming. And all of it's given to us so that when we're standing at that threshold, we might step across it. There's a story... Uh, in the New Testament, uh, this is in John's Gospel, where Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, and there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Uh, if you go there now, uh, you'll find it looks like this. Uh, because the city you know, has been leveled and ruins built over, uh, buildings built over all the old ruins. But you can see down there at the bottom is where the, the pool uh, used to be, and you can see the colonnades that are kind of still remaining around there in the ruins. And, and this was a place where that was you know, considered to be a place of healing, that the waters of the pool of Bethesda, when they were stirred, disturbed, uh, that was considered to be a sign that the angel of God was present. Now, it could have been wind or it could have been an upwelling of water from the spring that disturbed the surface. We don't know. But, 
but the understanding was that that was a sign that at that moment the, the angel of God was present and whoever was first placed into the water would receive healing. So Jesus approaches the, the pool of Bethesda and, and he recognizes this man that's been laying there for 38 years and his question to him is really interesting. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now I know a lot of us hear that and think, well, of course he did. But my experience is that a lot of times we're not so sure we want to be healed. You know, we, we, we get used to the world we live in. We, we make peace with what's going on, whether it's an emotional disease or relational disease or spiritual disease or whether it's a, a disease of the body. We, we become comfortable with that. We understand it. And when the opportunity for change, for healing comes along, sometimes we're afraid to cross that threshold because we don't know, we don't know what life would look like if that healing occurred. And so we, we hang back and, and remain in our illness instead of moving forward. Maybe, maybe it's the case that we don't step into that because we've tried before and it, nothing's happened and, and we've become discouraged Maybe we've lost hope that it can get better. Maybe we feel like, well, you know what? There, there's just no way to, to make this happen, and, and why try? You know, I, I've had enough discouragement in life. Don't, don't, don't lead me on any further. But Jesus comes and says, do you want to be healed? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. This, the day on which this took place, was a Sabbath. Yeah, God, I, I don't have anybody to help me, and everybody else always gets there ahead of me. You know, some of us feel like that in life, right? Other people get all the good breaks. Other people are the lucky ones. I'm always the one that's left out. My life is the hard luck story. And we have lots of reasons that we don't step across those thresholds. And Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, I, I, my thought on this is, you know, if I've gone through all of my life wrestling with something, I need to be clear. You know, the reality is we don't always get cured of whatever it is. Remember Paul had his, his thorn in the side. He prayed about three times and God did not heal him from that. So, you know, understand this is not some magical kind of thing. But, but, but nonetheless, you know, in life sometimes we get stuck because we're, we're, we've been disappointed so many times. We've been discouraged for so many times. And, and we struggle for so many times. And, and we just don't want to even try to get across that threshold anymore because it's never worked before and so we're, we're there and then all of a sudden God steps in the midst of our life and does something amazing he said get up just just get up pick up your mat and walk I mean and this time is different because all the other times nothing happened but this time 
for whatever reason, God works in your life and you're able to get up and move forward and receive that kind of healing in your life, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical, and you receive that, and, and all of a sudden you're well and life is different. And in the midst of that, having gone from that place of hopelessness to a place of hope, from a place of, of dying slowly to a place of life, from a place of, of dis-ease to a place of health and wholeness, all of a sudden you're in the presence of God. And what are you going to say except glory? And that's what the man does. He stands up. He's, he's praising God. And, and, and the Pharisees say, wait a minute, this is the Sabbath. You can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath to get healed. Now, that's a whole different sermon. But there's a, there's a story there, too. But, but they say, and, and, and the man at first isn't really sure what to say. And, and, and so after they've grilled him for a while, he's going, well, I don't know who the guy, I don't know what happened. I mean, don't tell me. I mean, he, he, he walks out and Jesus meets him outside. And he has an encounter with, with Jesus where all of a sudden he recognizes who it is. Who it is. This is the guy that healed me. And, and so then he, he goes back and, and talks to them. The man went away from Jesus and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. He goes back now and he, he tells him. Because once you know, don't you want to tell? It's interesting, the word here for tell it's a play on the, uh, the word alangalon, uh, the evangel, the good news. He goes back to them, literally what the Greek is telling us, he goes back to them and shares the good news that it was Jesus that healed him. Now this is an interesting little piece of this because you know, God's glory comes to lift us over this threshold sometimes and move us forward, but, but also to, to enable us to have the boldness to speak of our faith. There was a big survey done a number of years ago, uh, in, in people in churches, talking to people in churches, and it said, okay, so how many of you have had a, a major experience of God in your life? You've had a, a healing or a major experience of God's presence, something that's overwhelming, something that was like miraculous in your life. And like 75% of the people said, oh yeah, I've had that happen. And then they said, so, so how many of y'all, how many of you have gone and told anybody about that? And it was like 3% of them said, well, yeah, I've done it. And they went back then and they said, well, the rest of you that didn't tell anybody, why did you not tell anybody? And the answer was because we didn't want people to think we were crazy. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't only in Jesus' time that healing on the Sabbath was unacceptable. It's unacceptable in our time, isn't it? It's culturally unacceptable. We have these amazing experiences at the presence of God stuff that makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up makes us feel like we're on fire stuff that disrupts our vision or our hearing amazing healing that in our lives that we can't really find a way to explain except that it's by the grace of God and we're afraid to share the good news of that because we're afraid of what people think about us because the world around us will say, you're crazy, or there's something wrong with you, or what are you talking about? We're afraid. And so the boldness of the witness of the church suffers. Because we're afraid to go out and say to the world, glory! Hallelujah. Because we don't want them to think we're crazy. But that's part of the threshold that God comes to lift us across as well to be able to, to go out and, and share that 
And that's part of why we lean into the Holy Spirit. Remember, in, in Acts, what, is, what does God tell the people? I mean, when Jesus said, you'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. You will be, not you may be, I'd like you to be, maybe you might, you know. Uh, you, you will be, but, but only when you have the presence of the Spirit with you, when you hold on to that and carry that with you. So, uh, so I, you know, I don't know what your experience in life has been. I mean, I, I know in, in our history, we've had a number of times where we've encountered things that are just incomprehensible to us, where God's moving in our lives. But, but one of the early memories I have of, of really having this, this kind of a powerful experience was years ago when I was still in seminary, and uh, Cindy and I went with uh, uh, some friends of ours out to uh, Aspen, Colorado, uh, during the time when the, when the trees are turning. And those of you know the whole when the aspens turn, you know, like the whole mountainside turns together because all the roots are connected. It's really just a lot of trees, but it really is like one big organism. And, and so the whole mountainside turns together. And we'd gone out there, and uh, our friends had a little uh, four-wheel drive Toyota pickup truck, and we were going to go drive out in the mountains. So that, we got up that morning early on a Saturday and, and went and put gas in the truck, and, and Cindy and I offered to pay for that so that that would be our part of the trip to help with. And, and Cindy went in and did that, and I was uh, checking out of the hood and that kind of stuff, and she came back out, and we climbed in the truck and she started looking at her purse and she says, oh, I've lost that $100 bill that we brought. Now, remember, this is in the 1980s. $100 was a lot of money. Uh, I mean, it actually was our eating plain money for the rest of the weekend. Uh, And and that's what we had brought. And, you know, for seminary students, especially uh, in in the 80s, that was a really big amount of money. And, And we went back in, we couldn't find it. It wasn't all we didn't find it the guy that was the state the attendant at the station didn't remember it so you know it just was gone and you know we figured well we you know it probably fell out somewhere and somebody picked it up I mean but who knows and, and, and Cindy was just expecting me to be really irate about this but you know here we are I mean we're, we're driving through these canopies of golden trees and the lights coming in and it's just everything's golden I mean, the light is golden, the air is golden, everything is fine. We're with good friends. I'm with my wife that I love so much. And, and here we are in this beautiful place with this golden light. And, and the last thing I could do was get irate. I couldn't get angry. I couldn't care less. I mean, it was like God was just pouring out liquid gold over us that morning. And it was such a rich time that it, there was no way to be anything except just... <sighs> overwhelmed with the moment and through the rest of the time when we would be in those moments of stress and strain and things would be difficult and we'd be challenging and we were trying to make ends meet financially through those years sometimes and and we're struggling through that every time you know start to get there it was just I could close my eyes and just go back to that place and remember that you know God just poured himself out on us that morning in the air and the light in the presence of people around us. And just be reminded, he's got us. God's with us. He's got us. And God just comes and surrounds us when we're standing there at those thresholds and we're not sure what to do and we have some anxious expectation to get across, but we're also afraid. What's it going to look like? How's life going to be? And we're, we're holding up there. God comes and, and just surrounds us. And, and if the encouragement isn't enough, God picks us up and carries us across. 
And we go from these places of, of desperation and, and, and hopelessness to a place of hope. And what are you going to say? It's that glory. I mean, God takes us from these places of, of brokenness and illness and disease and brings us to wholeness and life. And what are you going to say except glory? God takes us from having desperation to a place of seeing the world with hope and promise. And what are you going to say except glory? God takes us from a place of death and sin to a place of righteousness and life. And what are you going to say except glory? The glory of God is poured out and lifts us up and takes us from death and hopelessness to life and hope. And my friends, the only thing you can say is glory. glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you pour yourself out upon us. That in those moments when we, we most need you, that you're there with us. That in those times when we are most afraid to take that next step, that you come and you pick us up and carry us over that threshold. So, Father, hear us this morning as we come and pray for our eyes to be open and our hearts to be open to receive this gift you give us so that we might cry out and proclaim with everything in our life, glory. Amen. Amen. So here's some questions. Just for you to consider. You know, have you ever felt that you're standing on the threshold of a, a new room in your spiritual journey and felt that fear, excitement, tension? And how does it encourage your faith to see how the Old and the New Testaments weave together in this kind of unbroken message of God's redemption, going from uh, the snake on the pole to the Christ on the cross? How comfortable are you with the concept of God revealing himself and his truths to you? And are you willing to pray for eyes to see what God is already doing? I love this quote from John Piper. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. But if you're aware of three, that can be enough. Amen.